Lose the Cape Podcast, episode 157. Good morning, everyone. Today is the International Day of the Girl, which I have to be honest, I had not heard about. Um, But I'm obviously a lot more in tune with those types of things now, so I figured we should celebrate it on um, Lose the Cape and definitely celebrate us as women and our daughters as girls and our nieces and our friends and everyone else. It's been a rough couple of week for, weeks for girls in our country, hasn't it? We, um, we just watched several women become re-victimized. Whether or not you agree with, with uh, their stories or, or any of those things, the fact that we put them through a situation like that um, and put so many women through a situation like that and then in a hush hush hurry hurry let's get this crap over with because of politics type situation uh, we said it doesn't really matter it doesn't really matter because we have things that are more important than that and, uh, you know, I had to take a step back and, and, and a step away for a little while because I was so disappointed by what happened. And, you know, the crazy thing is that even if, um, let's just say he was innocent, let's just say he was innocent, watching his behavior and mannerisms during the questioning should have been enough for any right-minded person, and I don't mean right liberal, uh, conservative Republican, I mean, anybody right in the head should have seen, whoa, this guy, he might not be the best, um, fit for the Supreme court. He might not be the best person to be making judgment on law of the land for the rest of his life. Uh, but anyway, you know, it's interesting. I saw a, we've been talking about this for a bit late. Uh, uh, in our last several episodes and in different um, interviews that I have given, I've really been talking about the fact that my goal is to make talking about politics cool again, because I think it's so important. And I've said this in episode after episode that no matter where you stand on political issues, there's no doubt that from the time you wake up in the morning until the time you go to bed, your life is impacted by politics your life, your children's lives, everything we do every day is impacted by politics. Everything. Everything. So why don't we talk about it more? And it was funny because just yesterday, a friend, um, Heather Vickery, actually, she'll be on an upcoming episode. She posted a, um, looked like a, a, a page from a book that somebody had taken an image of. And I don't, I can't, I shared it on the Facebook page. I don't remember the quote exactly, but it said something to the tune of, our problem is not that we um, uh, that we talk about politics. She said we it said something along the lines. I'm sorry, I'm totally butchering this. I'm not doing great here, um, but it basically says that the problem is that we were raised not to talk about politics, and now it's doing us a disservice because nobody knows how to talk about politics in a calm manner. And um, it said it much better in two sentences, but basically that instead of being afraid of talking about politics and instead of teaching ourselves that we shouldn't, what we need to be doing is is teaching our children how to talk about politics in a calm, 
collected and kind manner. And that is so true. And that's really the purpose of our book that's coming out in October 26th is not only to show moms how they can get involved, even if they're overwhelmed and busy, just small things they can do um, in their daily lives to be part of the discussion and part of the process and how to raise their kids, knowing that these things are important, but really understanding that we have to be talking to our kids. We have to be showing them that it's okay to have a discussion. We have to tell them that it's okay to not agree with someone, but to look at things from other people's perspective. It's interesting. We were driving back from um, basketball practice last night and we carpool with two other little boys. And they were being boys and talking about talking smack about the other kids on the team and um, talking about how they were the best three and all the rest of the kids on the team were terrible and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? You're at a skills building program. There are a lot of younger kids that are coming to this because they want to get better at playing basketball just like you. And you don't need to make fun of them. You need to help them. And my husband was like, oh, they're just being boys. And I was like, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're boys just being boys. They can turn around and talk smack about each other whenever they want. But there's no reason why I can't take this moment to teach them a little bit of empathy. And that's exactly what we are trying to show is that you can take these moments. You can teach your children empathy. You can, And it's hard. You know what? You have to start with yourself. Because if you don't have empathy for other other people, if you can't look at things through other lenses, if you can't decide that you might be able to understand somebody's viewpoint, even if you don't agree with it, then you can't possibly teach that to your children. So that's one thing that I work on all the time because it's so easy to make snap judgments. It's so easy to assume we know what's going on. It's so easy to to just judge somebody. So, um, you know, I'm working on that with myself too. And I encourage everybody else to work on that so that we can show our children. And, you know, if we argued back and forth a little bit and he was like, yeah, but they're just, you know, and I'm like, it doesn't matter. And I even use that phrase. I'm not raising a boy that's going to live by the boys will be boys mentality. Cause you see where that gets us. Right. So anyway, I, and he was like, all right, you're right. I guess it doesn't, you can, take these moments. I was like, you're darn right. I can take these moments to teach him. Who else is going to teach him? If I don't nip this in the bud right now of him talking smack and making fun of those little kids for not playing well, who else is going to teach him? Who else? So anyway, totally sidetracked here. It is the day of the girl, but this is relevant. In order to raise strong girls, we also have to raise strong boys, boys that know better, Boys that are loving, boys that are kind. And if you're raising boys right now, that should be your mission. And from the people that I have talked to who are my people, who are my tribe, who are part of this, they get it. Okay, so what else is happening? We have Sally Barker on the podcast today. Her book is publishing any day now, and it's Double Happiness Multiplied. She is the mom of twin daughters um, who also had something. If it wasn't twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, it was something very, very similar. That Her babies struggled and were born very, very early. Um, her book is fantastic. It's a guide basically for mothers um, who are pregnant or have delivered multiples, twins, um, triplets, quads, can't even imagine. Um, and it's just a great resource. We've had a chance to look through the the finished version and there's all kinds of charts and graphs and 
um, information for you to ask your doctor and information on potential issues that you can have so that you're armed with the knowledge that you need when you go to ask your doctor questions. And then after they're born, you know, sleep patterns and trying to get them to sleep better, trying to get them to eat. So if you know anybody who is pregnant with twins or is even a new mom to twins, Double Happiness Multiplied, um, which we'll, we'll definitely have the link to um, her website in the show notes at losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 157. It would be a fantastic gift for you to give them. It's really phenomenal. The, um, the graphs and charts and images and, and information are just incredible. Um, as a side note, another hurricane is passing through. So I'm literally sitting in the dark. Um, we still have power right now, but we have lost a tree. But um, I'm home with the kids today again. We already had lost an entire week of school due to a hurricane, but I don't want to make light of it. I hope everybody in the path is okay. Um, I'm a little bit worried as this heads on up to North Carolina because they are, and even parts of South Carolina, they've already had such massive flooding. And this one is just, I mean, it's been dumping rain on us since last night. So my thoughts are with everybody. Please stay safe. And um, with all of that, make sure you check out all the show notes and everything going on. Just one last note, October is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. Um, as you know, I delivered twins who suffered from twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, and one of them passed away after two days because they were so ill. Um so October is a very special month for me. I did come together with two other authors that I have worked with and published. And um, each of us have written books on pregnancy and infant loss that um, take a completely different uh, perspective and view and kind of focus point. Uh, navigating the unknown is how you, once you've learned that your baby is either not going to make it through pregnancy or is going to die um, not long after birth, all the things you need to know to help you plan and do the things you don't want to have to do. It's a fantastic guide. Amy wrote it because it was the book she was looking for when they learned that their daughter was not going to live long. Um, so then the next book is Sunshine After the Storm, which is my book. And it is a collection of essays from parents written around topics of interest to moms who have either lost a baby or a pregnancy. So all the different things, it's the survival guide for the grieving mother. So all the different things like um, the things people say, how to talk to your children, other children, if you have other children, um, dealing with the anger and um, religion. I mean, just a whole gamut of, of different things, all written by parents who have lost pregnancies, infants, or even up to a 12-year-old child and how they handled those situations. It's truly a good book for a mother who is grieving the loss of a pregnancy infant or child and has been very helpful to many. And then the third book is a memoir by Lindsay Gibson. It's called just be, and it's about how her, the birth of her stillborn son really um, made her have to face trauma that she'd been suppressing from a violent rape that happened early in her life. So it deals with grief and trauma and loss and overcoming it and how to come back to being able to be herself again. So three great books. If you head over to the, um, we've put them together in a limited time collection for October and you can get that on our website, losethecape.com forward slash podcast forward slash 157. And, um, now I will move on with the interview with Sally Barker. I hope y'all have a great day. Thanks so much. And it's recording. Boom. Okay. 
Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of the Lose the Cape podcast. I'm your host, Alexa Bigworf. Nancy is not with me today because our guest is in Australia and with all the time uh, zone switcheroos and all, etc. It was really, really early for Nancy, so I'm going solo on this one. Today, our guest is a dear friend of mine. I have been on her podcast before. You may have um, uh, listened to my interview because we've been sharing it around lately, um, and it is, <laughs> it's too early. Coffee hasn't kicked in yet for me. Um, Sally, is it is it Double Happiness Multiplied? Is that the name of your podcast too or just the book? No, it is the podcast as well. Oh, yes. The podcast as well too. Okay, yes. great. So um, you're in for a treat if you are pregnant with multiples, have multiples, or are uh, know someone who has multiples. We are going to be talking with, we are talking with Sally Barker. She is an empowerment mentor, a light worker, podcaster, journalist, and author. But She's also the proud mother of identical twin girls. Um, so she works with people on all kinds of different things, bringing awareness to life with multiples, et cetera, et cetera, through her podcast. And most recently through um, the publication of a book, which as we publish this episode, it will be with um, coinciding with the launch of her book, Double Happiness Multiplied. So very excited to have you here to talk about your journey with twins, their super preterm birth, um, and what you have done with that along the way. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Alexa. It's wonderful. And thank you for mentioning all of those, th- those things that I'm doing. You sort of forget what you do when, until somebody starts to talk about it. Well, and it's funny because I mentioned to Sally right before we started recording that um, I had not pulled up her, her um, bio. So I went to her website. So I'm sitting here skimming this, trying to pull the most important things without, <laughs> without like just reading straight out. But I mean, you've done a lot of cool things. I mean, you you um were a reporter for is that right is that what i'm just reading here you've been a television reporter that's correct that makes sense why you're so good at the podcasting thing then so let's just let's start back at um at the beginning with the twins like um i mean with identical twins as was my case like we don't have twins running in the family and i identical twins aren't genetic anyway they're just kind of a what (laughs) a freak of nature that's what they tell you (laughs) yes exactly and so you found out when you were 12 weeks pregnant what was that like what what happened there they're your only children correct correct yes I mean it was a it was a big shock because I didn't realize I was pregnant until I was about 10 or 11 weeks anyway so I'd been incredibly ill and I was um, working in breakfast radio at the time, which for those of you who know breakfast radio, that means you're in the station at quarter to four in the morning. Ooh. And it's, yeah, so I was the um, breakfast news presenter for the city's, you know, main radio station. And I was so sick. And then I had to get taken off that shift because I was so sick. And then I was put out onto the, you know, on the road reporting. And then I was fainting and there was all these things going on. And I kept going to the doctor and he was saying, yeah, I don't know. I, and I was going for test after test. And a week before I realized I was pregnant, he sent me off for an ultrasound. He said, I'm sure it's an ulcer. (laughs) (laughs) it never never even occurred to him that you could be pregnant (laughs) no no because early on when I was really ill 
um, he did a test and he oh. said, oh, you know, you've got some, you know, which at the time I had, you know, no concept of what any of this meant. He said, oh, you have some, you know, your hormone levels are a bit high, but that's nothing really to worry about. Um, so he just dismissed it. And oh it was, it was terrible. So when I was, I was having the ultrasound for the ulcer, I said to the lady, I said, listen, do you mind just checking? Is there a chance that I could be pregnant? And she looked and she goes, it's not on the form. So I can't check for you. Oh no. <laughs> and I thought, wow, this is crazy. So I had convinced myself that it wasn't a physical, like I wasn't physically ill. I was mentally ill because all of these tests were coming back negative. I couldn't eat anything. I was living on those energy drinks, the blue and red energy drinks, because oh I could not eat anything. And I was fainting all the time. It was just, it was dreadful. So finding out at around, you know, 10 or 11 weeks, and then just coming to terms with the fact that I was that far along and that I was having a baby and I'd broken down on the couch just going, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with a baby? Because I had polycystic ovary syndrome and I had several operations for that. So my um, gynecologist had said, having children is probably not going to happen for you. So then coming to terms with the fact that I was having a baby (laughs) and then thinking, whoa, what do I do with a baby? And then going in the next week and they say, well, actually there's two. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I couldn't stop laughing actually. (laughs) That's, that was kind of my experience too. Like it was, it was funny because, um, I went in because I have, um, because I was old, (laughs) I was going to be 35 when the babies were born. So I was considered old. And because I have lupus and because I have thyroid issues, like the second I took a pregnancy test, they were like, and it came back positive. They were like, okay, why don't you come on in early so we can just make sure everything's okay. Make sure your thyroid's still doing okay. All that good stuff. And so I went in at like, I mean, shoot, it was like barely six weeks. Like that's how early it was. And um, so they did the internal ultrasound and and the nurse was like, "Um, okay, we're just going to go ahead and schedule you for another appointment in about two weeks just to make sure that there's not two heartbeats. And I just kind of, I was like, eh? And I looked at her and she was like, yeah. I said, wait a minute, is that normal procedure? Because I'm in here so early or is that do you see two heartbeats and she was like no I see two but I'm gonna have the doctor confirm (laughs) and the doctor came in and she was like yep there's definitely two heartbeats in there and I I just like I started laughing this like hysterical just like I don't even know where it came from I was like ha ha what is that? <laughs> and the funniest part was I had told my husband not to come with me. I'm like, this is our third pregnancy. I got this. This is so easy. <laughs> it was not so easy. It turned out not easy at all, but it is, it's shocking, especially like, I mean, for you, one, you're going from never even considering that you're going to have a child to being pregnant than to having two <laughs> So what was what was your what was your partner's relationship? I mean relationship response. Oh my gosh. I I thought he was going to pass out. I thought he was he was he looked like he was going to be sick. <laughs> because I mean initially I didn't catch on because the um obstetrician had said, Do twins run in your family? And then I saw, you know, Matt just go, he went, Oh, <laughs> And I said, no, why? Completely clueless. Man. He said, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was crazy. And then in the car on the way home, 
I was still laughing by the time I got to the car. I just thought, well, this just is so funny. I just couldn't stop laughing. And then he was just going, oh, if they're girls, I have to pay for two weddings. And I thought, oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the it things is, that run through their minds. <laughs> well, and it's really funny that the women I do talk to and, you know, interview for, you know, podcast and, and books and so forth, they their husbands have a similar reaction. Yeah. It's either, you know, I have to, if they're girls, they're going to want to date and, they're you know, I'll have to pay for their weddings or, oh, my gosh, true, now what am I going to do? We need to get a new car, a new house. You know, it, men's minds go to that uh-huh. where we just go to, oh, wow, you know, how my body going to cope with you know carrying these things absolutely well as it turned out though um there were many things that you guys had to worry about long before weddings um so they were identical they are identical um did your doctor ever talk to you about twin to twin transfusion syndrome was that ever a concern yes so I was with a, uh, in Australia here, you can go public or private. So I was with a private obstetrician and he was very flippant with the whole twin thing, you know, come back at, uh, you know, when you're 20 weeks and, (gasps) and yes, however, for the official 12 week scan here to get, you know, decent images, you go to a special imaging center Uh and it was just fortunate the sonographer happened to be a professor who worked on the gold team. The gold team um, at the local tertiary hospital is a team which takes care of high-risk pregnancy cases. So it was just fortunate she um, she did the scan and she said, I'd feel more comfortable if you could get a referral to come over to King Edward Memorial Hospital and have your next scan. And I'd like to do that next week. I was like, you know, next week or the week after. And when you haven't been pregnant before or even, you know, having twins, you, you don't even think that there's anything wrong. But right. I went back to my obstetrician and there was just something inside me that said I needed to do this. And he was, oh, he was really cross. Ooh. And he was saying, what a waste of time. And, you know, he was, you know, he was probably, you know, late 50s, early 60s. And, you know, I've delivered twins for years and, you know, but when you, when you really think about it, for years he's delivered twins. He might have delivered one set of twins every five years, right. you know. <laughs> so so what, what's your problem? So, but I, so I went up to the hospital and had this next scan and then they said, listen, can you come back in two weeks? And I was thinking, oh, well, you know, this is just the way it must happen right? You know, not, 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 you know, I've never, I'd never really paid much attention to other people around me having babies anyway, to know that this was a bit, bit off. And then by the time I was 16 weeks, they said, oh, listen, there is, there is a bit of a problem. And we think you might have a condition called twin to twin transfusion syndrome. Mm. And still I had no real concept of what this was. And So then, you know, we sent away and then another two weeks to go back in again. And at the beginning, they were trying to find this dividing membrane, which, you know, still had no idea. There's just so much to learn when you don't know anything about this. Yeah. Um, and they finally found this dividing membrane and they, it seemed that they went, oh, well, that's really good news. But then they throw, throw in, you know, well, we think you've got this serious condition and, you know, your babies might not survive. Oh my and God. it's... you. 
and you're sort of sitting there thinking, what? I just don't understand because you're brought up to think that, you know, you fall pregnant, the baby stays there for nine months, you deliver, you go home and it's just, that's the way it works. There's, there's, I'd never had anyone who'd had pregnancy complications, birthing complications. Right. I'd never known of that. I'd never even, to be honest, I'd never even, the idea of prematurity had never even entered my mind. Mm-hmm. Like it was just not anything on my radar. So at, you know, 16 weeks and they're saying there's a, a problem. And then at 20 weeks, I was on my way to work and I was, you know, because it was 16 weeks and then 18 weeks and then 20 weeks for a, a scan. And I was on my way to work and the, you know, I was taken from the, the sonographers, you know, the ultrasound room into another room and I couldn't understand the midwife, there were two midwives and they looked all, you know, very, very somber. And they said, listen, we just need you to wait here for a moment. And then they introduced me to you know, a head professor and he asked a few questions and he said, listen, it's your condition's quite serious oh. and you can't go, you need to give up work right now. And I said, no, no, no. I've kind of, I've worked out that, you know, after Christmas and, and still it hadn't sunk in. And I was, and he was, he was going, you don't understand, oh. you know, these babies are not viable yet. Right. And I said, what does that even mean? Like viability and to, you know, it was all this just, just coming down on me. And, and this scan I'd gone to by myself as well. So I had to call, you know, had to call Matt and say, I just don't understand what's going on, but I can't go to work. And then it all dawned on me that, you know, they sat me down and said, listen, you are, it it is a bit of, it's a critical stage and the babies you're carrying might not survive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, and so I was just told, I just, and there's nothing you can do. So they might not survive and there is nothing you can do. Uh, fortunately, it turned out that we didn't have twin to twin transfusion syndrome. We had um, selective intrauterine growth restriction. Mm-hmm. So one of the babies was severely growth restricted and was only getting um, around about 25% of the nutrients she required. So, and what happens with this condition is blood flows in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And with growth restriction, it's quite slow and it starts to reverse. So when it starts to reverse, um, it will start to it will start to slow and then reverse. And once it starts to reverse, that baby will pass, and then soon after, the other one will pass. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got ahead around that at around twenty two weeks, and then at twenty four weeks, um, you know, you go for so many scans, and you're in these rooms, and you know, you get used to the sounds that come out of those machines, and um, and the response from the sonographer and the midwives. And at 24 weeks, we'd gone in and straight away I could tell like the sounds were so different. And then, you know, nothing was said and, you know, my tummy was wiped and then they said, um, we think we have to deliver your babies now. Oh, my god! And gosh. I said, no, 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 that's, you know, 24 weeks, that's just, you know, that can't be happening. That You know, this is, that's just there's no way they could, you know, they just told me they were, they weighed around 400 grams each. And so we quickly were, you know, was taken into another room and they said, before we can deliver, we need to 
um, give you a corticosteroid injection to improve or mature their lungs so they have a greater chance of survival. So we had that and they said, then we have to wait for 24 hours to give you a follow-up injection. Mm -hmm. And in that time, so then, you know, this all happened and then I'm admitted to the hospital, put up in the ward and they said, it's just been, what we would normally do is after the next injection, we would deliver. But it's only recently in the past 18 months that in some cases, the condition stabilizes after having the steroid injections. Mm -hmm. And so instead of delivering straight away, what we will do is we'll do another scan. And so that night was just, you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, am I delivering tomorrow? These, you know, tiny babies that had just, you know, reached viability. Um, or will we be in that small percentage where the condition improves? And so thankfully the next day when we went in, you could, you could tell straight away that like the, the professors were there, the midwives, the sonographer, and they just smiled straight away and they just went, oh, it's worked. Aww. So it was, it was like, oh, my gosh. Like, you can't understand how, like, it was just such a relief. But then you're still thinking that how long is that going to last? Right. Because it's not a permanent solution. So then I spent the next week in hospital and everything seemed to remain the same. And I was allowed to go home at the end of that week. So by this time, we're 25 weeks. And I, I wasn't, you know, I couldn't do anything. I was told to just go home and not do anything. So basically every second day, I'd, every second day I went back into the hospital for a scan. And our goal was to get to, you know, 32 weeks. But then they said, oh, listen, we don't think you'll get there. But let's aim for 30 weeks. And then I hadn't done, I really had, you know, I'd been to the, the supermarket once and then we had used to, we would have where we lived this amazing street party for Christmas. And I, I thought, I just really want to just, you know, and it was pretty much walk out of our front garden and down the end of the street. And it was just, you know, all stalls and it was lovely. And it was, you know, and so I walked out there and then that afternoon I thought something just doesn't feel right. So I phoned the midwife and went straight in and they said, no, no, everything's fine. But she said to me, it might just be your intuition telling you that it's almost time. And I said, no, 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 it can't be. We're, you know, 27 weeks, you know, we're definitely getting to 30 weeks. But then when we went in on the Tuesday for the next scan, yes, straight away, the sounds that come out of those machines, yeah, you just... And the sonographer turned and she said, um, we need to take your babies now. Oh, it's horrible. Oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Oh gosh, it's terrible. It's hard when you have to, when you really think back and I've done so much work in terms of healing, you know, from all of that trauma. But when you think of, you know, when someone turns and says, oh, we need to take them now, you think, that's just so hard to hear. Well, I can I can understand exactly what that moment is like because exactly I yes went through exactly the same situation and just listening to you tell your story. I mean, there's so many there's so many similarities between the whole thing. I mean, my girls did have twin to twin transfusion syndrome, um, 
And I remember when they told us that at the 20 week scan and just like, uh, you know, it's, it's for me, it feels like they have such um, a long way to go in bedside manner when it comes to dealing with moms and, um, and high risk babies. Cause our doctor was just like, yeah, we're just going to admit you to labor and delivery and they have this syndrome and we don't think the babies are going to live. And I'm just like, um, excuse me, <laughs> you know, yeah. what, what's happening here. But that whole, that whole process of going in for those next few, few weeks, few months, and then all of a sudden these babies have arrived and you know, that 28 weeks or ours came at 30 is not long enough for a baby to have been in the tummy. So, I mean, and that's scary and it's a whole new thing. Like first you go through that, are they even going to live? And sometimes they don't. Um, Mm -hmm. What's this journey going to be like? I mean, you have no idea. The NICU is one of those things that only people who've gone through it understand and what that's like every day. I don't know about you. I don't know if I'm sure the machines make very similar sounds, but I still Mm -hmm. to this day, if I'm watching a TV show and hear that beep, 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 like the sound from the NICU machine just like puts me in a pure state of terror. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that the sound of the CPAP machine, the, oh, the popping, yes. the, the, yes. the bubbling, yes, oh that does. Oh my gosh! It's just... And the smell of the—I don't know what it, what you had to, you know, you had to, you know, really, really wash your hands and yes, um, use so... antibacterial. Oh. Yeah, yeah, the smell of that. Yeah, that. <laughs> It <laughs> really does. Yeah. And, you know, now looking, looking back and what I've learned now through my own journey of healing, all of those signs that we experience are signs of unresolved trauma. Uh-huh. And like it's you PTSD, said, sure it, exactly. Yeah. And like you said, it's, you have these medical professionals that it's, it's very medicalized. It's very much, okay, so here's X, Y, and Z. And for a lot of the time, we bury how we feel and we bury that trauma because we don't feel as though we're allowed to express it or allowed to say that, gee, that was traumatic because it's been really downplayed. And, you know, for you, you might've felt like people would say, Oh, at least you've got one live baby, you know, those kinds of things. So you should be grateful. So you shouldn't be expressing that trauma because you know and for, for me like I had I had a lady I worked with she said um at least you didn't have to push two big babies out oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't know what to say because I've got you know Asha was 825 grams and Bella was a thousand and fifteen like a small packet of sugar and this yeah. lady is saying oh, at least you didn't have to push two big babies out and I just could you know so our society tells us that someone else has it worse off or at least you didn't have to do this or it could have been worse. So then we bury those feelings with it and that sort of holds back our healing. Mm-hmm. It really does. And, you know, I, I, um, I've always heard of PTSD in, in particular with, with respect to our soldiers coming back from war, but mm. um, I, I can tell you it is a very real thing and, um, and you can experience it from, from many different avenues and, you know, people, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it because mental health is such an important part of motherhood. I think that often gets pushed to the side because we're so busy trying to take care of those babies. And I see it, I see it in my life. I mean, I couldn't take care of myself for a year 
And then, you know, everything started coming back up, bubbling back up again. Once, once Karis I knew was okay and was and healthy and moving on in her life. That's when everything started really, really coming back up for me. So um, what I want to say to anyone who has gone through a traumatic event like that, or the death of a baby or, uh, or an infant or small child or something like that, that, you know, it's, it's okay to, um, to still grieve later on down the road, like if you need to, because sometimes we are so busy being mothers that we, we push aside our own trauma and our own problems until, until later and, you know, feel it, get help if you need to. It's okay even a year later to go find help and support because um, mm. we need it. But I want to transition just a little bit from talking about the, because we could, we could talk about NICU stuff all day long and what it's like having a baby in the NICU or two babies and, you know, what that can do, how, how just stressful it is. And, um, but I want to talk more about, um, your coaching and how you work with moms and, and the fact that you are, um, very involved with like healing from birth trauma and what that means. And, and this doesn't have to be a, a multiple situation. Anyone can experience birth trauma um, and pregnancy trauma, right? Mm, correct. Yeah. And I, I started out working with mums of multiples and I had lots of mums with singletons come and say, I need your help because I've heard of how you've helped, you know, these, these other women. And so I started to just to open up what I could do to other women for other women. And the one thing that I'm really passionate about is when we have unresolved trauma, we, we often forget in these situations that there has been someone else there with us mm -hmm. and that is our partner, our, our, our spouse. And with multiples, families with multiples or even families who have gone through a traumatic pregnancy or birth, the divorce separation rates, you know, they double, they go, they go up exponentially. And what I've found is that getting or, or letting the women know that some of the behaviours that could be going on in their relationship could stem from their husband experiencing trauma but not acknowledging that trauma because society says that you are supposed to be strong so mm. you can't admit that you know you weren't the one who had the baby so right. you couldn't have experienced the trauma so i find lots of you know there's lots of facebook groups where women will you know for women and they'll go in and they'll vent about their partner saying you know, I had a really important doctor's appointment with the baby or the babies and he just wouldn't go. And um, he is, instead of spending time with me and, and the babies, he'd rather go and spend time with his friends. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these things are signs of unresolved trauma. So when we spoke uh, before about those smells and sounds from the, the NICU reminding us of that traumatic time, it's no wonder he doesn't want to go to a doctor's appointment because that might very well remind him of the time in the hospital right. and avoidance is the best way um, our partners can deal with it. So working with women and explaining this to them and then them opening up the dialogue with their partner, it doesn't only heal 
the mum. It also starts to heal the, the, the father and if father or, you know, if you do have a, another a partner. Um, and then in turn, I've had women say to me, I'm nicer to my kids. I'm calmer. I sleep better. Hmm. Um, my relationship is improving. And I think that's because now there's this greater understanding. Most people will say, you know, how do you make sure that your relationship is stable? And they'll say, communicate, communicate. But if you don't know what you're communicating about, right. you've got these unresolved issues, then that communication isn't going to come. Now, for me, I realised this way too late. So now I look back and my relationship with the girl's dad and I see his behaviours and I can say now, he was traumatised. I didn't allow him or he, he didn't know that he could speak about that. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have this knowledge to say to him, would you like to talk about that or how was that for you? Mm-hmm. So, you know, hindsight is a, is a funny thing. Would we be in the same situation as we are now if I had known that? I don't know. But I know that now if I have a woman come to me and say, you know, my pregnancy, my birth was traumatic and they talk about their birthing experience and the time spent in uh, NICU and I say, how did, your, how did your husband handle that? And they go, what do you mean? <laughs> and then they go, oh, my gosh, he was there too. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it really does. So in a way that I say that I coach women through their pregnancy and birthing trauma, it's more a, a whole family healing because once the mum gets it, then the dad gets it and then, the ch- you know, the, the, they're happier and they're calmer and then the children are happier because, I mean, sometimes we snap at our kids and you don't know where that snappiness comes from. Yeah. You know? You know, um, it's interesting. This is on a, a related topic but you know as you're talking about that relationship with the with the spouse or partner and talking with them i have a friend who um who lost a a pregnancy at about 20 weeks a year ago and she said the one year anniversary came around and she was talking about how or she was telling me how lonely she was that day because no one acknowledged not even her husband and i was like you know one of the most important things that I have learned through this whole process, be it through a traumatic experience or a loss, or it doesn't necessarily have to be a loss, just going through the NICU experience or going through a, a, a grave illness with a child or anything like that, like men and women handle it differently and they respond differently. But especially with the pregnancy, like it's, I think it's so much harder for men because they don't bond instantly with that baby they don't carry it in their bodies. They don't feel the feels. They don't feel the baby moving like we do. They don't do all of those things. And I just, um, I encouraged her as well. It's like, you know, it's so important to, to tell him just to, to don't, don't come accusingly, but just be like, this is what's going on with me. And this is what I thought might happen. And I was disappointed because of, or whatever, you know, and, and I'll tell you through uh, over a year of marriage counseling now that most of our problems stem from the fact that we just don't have open communication. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it's so, so, so important just to tag on to that. You know, we really have to, we so easily start blaming our spouses for not being there for us, not doing what we need, not emotionally supporting us, but they, they need the guidance. I mean, I hate to call men dumb, but <laughs> sometimes they are not very emotionally in tune with us. And sometimes they're yeah. too emotionally in tune and that can be bad too. But, you know, you have to communicate. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I think one of the things I, I, I do say to women is when they are trying to communicate with their spouse is it's a four-step process. And one of the things is, you know, acknowledging the trauma and being able to say, you know, together I experienced trauma right. and being able to say that. And then the second step is being able to say I experienced trauma but without shame, blame or without judgment and, and saying strong people experience trauma too. You know, trauma isn't reserved for the weak, you know. Right. It's strong people do. So it's okay for you to say that. And then move into step three, which is give yourself permission to heal because that's a big one. And that comes down to, you know, having going through those steps and having self-love and then understanding that healing just doesn't happen because someone else tells you that you need to heal. Right. You need to be able to give yourself permission as well as your spouse to be able to say to themselves, you know, I'm giving myself permission to heal. And this next step is really important. And it's, you have embodied this really, really well is include it in your story so that when you are talking about it, it doesn't bring you down. It doesn't overwhelm you and it doesn't put you into a dark hole for weeks and months. Mm-hmm. So being able to include it, it's not your entire story, but it is still part of your story. So if we ignore that, then we're just burying that trauma again. So being able to talk about those four steps with yourself and understand, but also sitting down with your partner and saying, you know, these are some of the things, and just being able to say out loud and thinking about them and say, I experienced trauma, that can really start that healing journey. It's so true. It's so true. Um, well, we are starting to run out of time and I want to make sure that we talk about your podcast quickly and most importantly, your book. So you are getting ready to start another season of your podcast, correct? Correct. Yes. So what what kind of things are you talking about on your podcast? Double. So double happiness multiplied season one was all about the pregnancy and what happens through a multiple pregnancy. So I've also included uh, triplets and quads. So we sort of go into twins as as well as triplets and quads. And, you know, there's an interview with a a lady who had quads. It's very, very interesting. Imagine being told you couldn't have children and then finding out that you have four at the same time. Very interesting. Um, (laughs) I can't even imagine. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. Crazy. And then on season two, we're talking about the first year. And that can often be really, really tough, you yeah. know, when you've, when you've got multiples. So we're talking about, you know, even selecting names and, you know, those kinds of things. But also we will be checking in with the dads too in season two. So that's, that's really exciting. And no, going into you know, the practical things, sleep and routine and, you know, weaning and you know, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, that's very cool. 
Um, okay, so let's talk about the book then. This is your very first book. Getting It should be publishing right around the time that we are launching this, and it is also called Double Happiness Multiplied. Now, is it just for women who are pregnant with and expecting twins or higher order multiples, or who is your, who is this, what's this book about and who is it for? So it is, yep, Double Happiness Multiplied, what you need to know about having twins, triplets, and quads. So it is for women having multiples, and it's broken up into three sections. So the first section is all about twins, and we have some amazing interviews in there. So the way the book is structured is we have uh, some case studies, interviews, which um, have been written up, and then depends they say someone with twin to twin transfusion syndrome at the end of that chapter we have a medical explanation to Uh that condition oh wow so yeah so it's quite in depth the reason i've done it this way is so as we've spoken about um, in the past a lot of medical professionals professionals don't understand the intricacies of a multiple pregnancy they still assume that it's just an extra one in there. So I've also, I've written it so it can be accessible for GPs, midwives, you know, and, and those sorts of things as a resource as well. So women can say, actually, this is the latest research and this is what I need to know. So if you are seeing an obstetrician who says, you know, great, 12 weeks, let's see you at 20 weeks and you have identical twins, you'll know from the information that uh, something's not quite right there. Right. Yeah, yeah. So then that's then we go into the higher order multiples, so triplets and quads, and we cover things like gestational diabetes, twin to twin transfusion syndrome, um, monochorionic, monoamniotic twins, um, identical twins as well, like the both types of identical twins. Um, we also have, uh, you know, what happens when one baby dies in utero and there's there's a surviving baby. We also talk about that. Then we go on to um, a chapter where um, we talk to some dads who have had twins and how they coped and the reactions they had and how we have one chap who he decided to stay at home and raise the twins because his wife had a better earning potential and her career oh. could be built, uh, you know, to sustain them long term rather than what he could do. So a Mr. Mum, we have him in there as well. So uh, we've also got a same sex couple. They ended up. Um, wow. You, you're yeah. exploring all the areas. Huh? <laughs> oh, it's fascinating. They wanted to have a baby and then they went through IVF and ended up with triplets. Oh <laughs> so, my goodness. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. So that's the amazing. Oh yes. So, and then we also have, um, postnatal depression in families with multiples, healthy relationships in families with multiples and sleep and routine. Mm-hmm. So it's packed full of everything you, you need to know. That's awesome. I mean, I, I really appreciate the fact that you are um, incorporating the other elements because I mean, we, we, I think it's, it's great to see you including the dads, especially, but, you know, talking about other non-traditional family is, I mean, what a great resource because I would imagine there's very few people talking about that. I mean, I have no idea what percentage of the population is same-sex marriages with multiples, but I'm sure they're not the only couple. So, (laughs) No, no. And especially with same-sex couples going down the IVF route, and surrogacy to you know have their babies, there is a higher right. rate of multiples, you know, through that. Absolutely. 
So it's, it's great. Um, I, you know, I really commend you for, for taking, for going the extra mile <laughs> for doing things that other people aren't doing. That's really cool. Um, okay. So w- the book will be out and available everywhere you can purchase books. Um, oh, and you also talk are talking about life with the multiples in general, like, right. Did you mention that? So in in the first book, we don't actually talk too much about life in general. We do talk about um, making sure, you know, you protect your relationship with your partner. We do talk about sleep, sleep and routine in those first um, first 18 months. Okay. But then book two will focus on life with multiples. <laughs> Amazing. So there is another <laughs> book to come. There is another book to come. Yes. Incredible. Okay. Well, that's great. Well, we will make sure that the show notes has all of the places where you can go purchase this book. And um, Sally, where can everybody find you? So on Facebook, Double Happiness Multiplied. I also have a Facebook group, the Pregnancy and Birth Trauma Healing Lounge, where we have lots of women in there and we share stories. We also have lounge chat every month. Well, actually, it turns into a little bit more than that, where um, I interview someone about um, their, their pregnancy and birth trauma in a way to support each other. Um, we can go on Instagram. I've just started on Instagrams and that is Sally Barker 29. I think that's pretty much all the social media, isn't it? I try not to be everywhere because it just, I'd spend my time, all my time on on social media. Well, we will get, we will get people to your website and then they can find you other places. But I would like to say that this, um, if you want to just give a little blurb on your, um, on your healing and trauma Facebook group, there might be women who would really love to join that. Mm, I think what what I'd like to say is the Pregnancy and Birth Trauma Healing Lounge is a place where mums meet to heal the scars on their heart. And I find that now my passion is bringing awareness to this topic. We've been silenced for so long and we've been told that someone else has it worse off and Mm. that you know, women have babies every day and you should be grateful because look, you do have, you know, you do have babies. So you need to forget about that. So what I am doing is breaking down that stigma and letting women know that you can talk about it. Yeah, that's great. Because I, I, it's funny, like not funny, haha, but it is funny, like how we have like as a society decided that it is something that just happens every day and no big deal and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, I mean, women are still dying in childbirth or immediately Mm. following childbirth. Women are still having trauma, like a placenta that explodes in pregnant. I mean, just all these things that there's a lot that can happen. Women are still dealing with dumbass doctors who do things like when I went in with my first pregnancy and I had scheduled an appointment at 38 weeks and I went in for my appointment and he says, he walks in the room. He was not my regular doctor. She was in the field because I was military. I was at a military hospital in Germany. And he's like, so the nurses tell me you wanted to be seen at third, uh, you wanted to be seen. And I'm like, um, I'm 38 <laughs> weeks pregnant with my first baby. What do you mean? I ne- I wanted to be seen. Isn't this like what happens? I'm, <laughs> I'm like, what? what, 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 I mean, you know, dealing with stuff like that, that's just makes you feel stupid. And like it did, it made me feel really stupid. I was like, 
am I, am I not supposed to be here? Am I, you know, I I don't know what's happening. And he's like, well, let me just check you out. But I mean, it's ridiculous. That happens so often. I I worked with a a lady and she'd been going to counseling for two years uh, following the birth. And I, you know, spent four or six weeks with her. And at the end of that time, she said, I finally realized that I'm not stupid. <laughs> they made me feel stupid because she first came to me saying, I should have asked better questions. And you know, if, if I'd have done this, this wouldn't have happened. And at the end of that time, she'd managed to book an appointment with the hospital and the obstetrician and had a meeting with them. And they apologized for the way they treated her. Oh my goodness. Well, thank goodness. So thank goodness that now she can, you know, she can move on because she wasn't stupid. They didn't treat her well. They just, this is our everyday job. And, you know, they just didn't explain things to her. She had a a terrible time, had a babies at one hospital. They went off to a, you know, they were rushed to another hospital. You know, it should never have happened that way. They were negligent and, and she, all she wanted was, you know, an apology. So I think, I think that's the thing, like you were just saying that sometimes they make you feel stupid. And absolutely. Yeah. So recently I was invited to talk to a group of, you know, more than 150 medical students at the university of Newcastle and the you know, there were senior neonatologists, there were midwives, but they were directing a lot of the questions to me because the things I was saying, they weren't aware of. So they were wanting to know how families are feeling, how women are feeling and what could they do when they, you know, going forward to try and minimise some of this trauma. And that's, that's incredible because mm-hmm. if they're going through being trained by a culture that doesn't recognise how we're feeling and, and these, that these traumas are real then they're not going to get it. It's just going to continue. So getting the opportunity to be an advocate and to bring awareness to this and to be able to talk to such large groups of, you know, training um, medical professionals is incredible. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with you on that one. And I mean, this, like I said, maybe you should come back on again because we could talk about this topic all day long. I really think that advocacy for pregnant women is something that needs to happen more. And, Mm. um, and that there needs to be more accountability in the in the medical field, um, because we know too much now. We know too much, and there's too many people that are still trying to just do it the old way. But we know that the old that there are some holes in the old way. But um, anyway, it was a pleasure speaking with you. I wish you the best of luck with this. I so wish that I had had this resource when I was pregnant with my twins, because I think you've nailed it right on the head. That just having that. Um, confidence to know what questions to ask and to know that there's a reason for it. Like my doctors made me feel silly too on some of the questions that I asked and things I requested. And, you know, the multiples, regardless of type, are high risk. And if you have a doctor that's not treating you like you're high risk, you need to find a new doctor, end of story, period, do it. Because you never want to look back and say, why didn't I advocate better for my babies? Uh And it's your right. It's your right to go and find someone else. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for this amazing resource, both through your website, your podcast, your group, helping all kinds of moms um, dealing with birth and trauma. And um, it's just, it's a beautiful thing that you're doing to help moms who really need it. Thank you, Alexa. 
and have a fantastic day. Thank you.